things early career recruitment the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with generation z with all the information that you'll need it's the jack and ollie show hello and welcome to the early careers podcast with myself ollie sidwell and me jack denton so today Today we have a special guest. So we have our first returner onto the podcast, Ooh. would you believe? Steve uh, Keith, he was talking about storytelling in series one, which was the seventh one we ran. We're now onto the 53rd podcast in series seven. So Steve Keith, uh, welcome back. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks for coming Absolute back. pleasure. So Steve Keith, also known as The Branding Man, you also run my career story podcast, and you recently launched the Queer Student Awards. Now we're recording this in July, and it was um, Pride Month in June last month, and you ran the first Queer Student Awards as well. So uh, I think we've got a really great um, conversation today, um, which was sparked by a post you put out on LinkedIn. I think there's quite a bit of frustration about people just putting a rainbow on it. So. Jack, do you want to have, give a bit of an intro in terms of uh, the plan for today? Uh, yeah. The listeners so, can explore. Yeah, so I thought it would be really nice for us to um, explore a little bit about your post that you put on LinkedIn, where that came from, mm-hmm. and really for us and other people to understand your journey and your experience of pride and what mm-hmm. that means to you. So, you know, for many people, it's seen as a celebration, and for many people, of course, it is a celebration. But it's also a, a protest for, for lots of other people. And actually, when we look into it a little bit further, pride actually can mean many things to people. It can be a source of, um, of pride. It can be a, a source of um, anxiety and various other things. And so um, I think as organizations that work in this space, in the early career space, who are looking to you know, um, have a diverse and inclusive um, organization and have a workforce that reflects society, it probably would be useful for them to understand that broad spectrum of what pride means and therefore what they can do other than just putting a flag on it. Mm-hmm. So should we start with, yeah, maybe your own experiences, Steve, and, you know, when you um, first attended your first pride and, and how, you know, that, those thoughts have developed over time. Yeah, so my, my, I attended my first Pride back in 2006. So um, I took part on the, the Teach First um, Leadership Development Programme. That was the start of my own career. Um, and part of programming, the training that you have in the Summer Institute there is that you have a, a week's placement in the school that you're going to be going into in the September um, following. And... I remember it very vividly. It was a very hot summer's day. It was that heat wave that we had back in 2006. And we'd been on a coach for hours driving from Canterbury to get into London. And it was taking forever to get into the centre of London. We were being rerouted everywhere. And I turned around to my friends that I'd made on the programme um, who'd grown up in Kingston and gone to university at UCL and said, what's going on? Like, does this normally happen in London? Because that was my first time back in London as an adult as well. And he kind of gone, he said, it's pride. And I said, what? And he looked at me with disgust. Like we were all out to each other. So he knew that I was gay and he couldn't Uh understand that I didn't understand what pride was. 
um, and I laugh at myself when I think about it now. But um, and so we he, he took us all out um, to the parade to watch it. And for the first few years that I went along to the Pride Festival afterwards in London, and then also around Europe as well. I've been to ones in Madrid, Tel Aviv. I really enjoyed them as celebrations of um, who I was as a gay man mm-hmm. and meeting other people from the community. But what I hadn't really appreciated, and I think this is something that a lot of people that identify with the LGBTQ plus community go through, they certainly have when I've spoken to them, is that as you get older, you appreciate that actually the journey that the community has taken has been all about a struggle and still is about a struggle. Mm. And what that's what the Pride Festival actually was rooted in was a protest. So it goes all the way back to over 50 years ago with the Stonewall riots in New York when um, a black trans woman threw a brick through a window and started off this riot of kind of everybody voicing their need to be recognised as a part of society mm-hmm. um, and, and treated equally. And that's what the march is all about um, and the parade itself. Over the years, it's become, um, it's the, well, it's my opinion, it is as of others as well, that it's become incredibly kind of pinkwashed in terms of the term of pinkwashing, meaning that it's become a lot about corporates and about um, money being put into it. And the parade has evolved and it's changed and it's kind of become something that it wasn't initially. Mm. Um, and and that's, been a, that's been an issue for the community. Um, just like before we go into a bit more detail about the, the, what you mentioned there about pink washing, do you think as well it, it's also um, it's like lots of parts of history, any part of history. Often when you're younger, you don't realise necessarily the significance of different things. You just go, it's a great party, it's a good laugh, like like Christmas. Is it, like lots of people don't really Christmas is just Christmas, right? We get presents and we go out and we do this, that, and the other. No one's really thinking about Jesus and the saviour being born and any of that it's it's but once you think think about it, it actually maybe might be more significant or you that might be the same with um young members of the lgbtq plus community i'm not saying all i'm just saying lots of people who see it as a party and a celebration and finally i've met thousands of people who are just like me and i feel safe and it's a place where i can completely be myself and then later they kind of get the story that you've just been telling us there yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, contextually at the moment, I left London um, almost a year ago to move back to the Lake District where I grew up. And as I'm sitting here talking to you guys today, I mean, the house that I grew up in where I largely didn't share that part of my identity. In fact, I didn't until I came back here as an adult after I'd finished teaching um, back in 2008. And my experience even of living here is completely different and it's caused me to reflect a lot on on my own journey and the fact that in many ways a lot of the anxieties and concerns that I had when I was younger younger, have evaporated away now. They have different focuses now. So Mm -hmm. same as like I'm already kind of anxious about going back down to London and re-emerging into kind of a big group of people and I've just been one of to be fair there's as far as I'm aware at the moment there's um me in the village and then there's a lesbian couple up the road and that's probably the only gay people that are around that I'm aware of mm-hmm. um 
And so, yeah, it's, it's been very much kind of a, a point where I've looked back and gone kind of and appreciated how far I've come, but also taken time to read around what's happened as a history for the LGBTQ plus community and appreciate that that 52 years, whilst there's still lots of things that aren't, were not being treated equal um, for, that huge steps have been made. Yeah. Um, and that's where young people come into it at the moment, I think, is that as much as they still party in the same way that I did when I was in my 20s, for example, they're much more educated. They know what they should expect now or they've got higher, I think they've got expectations that they're much more confident about voicing than a lot of people around me would have done 10, 15 years ago. suppose for, um, yeah. oh, sorry, Ollie, carry on. I was going to say, so it's interesting seeing your almost your journey and your journey of experiencing um, pride. What what advice would you give to the likes of the employers listening? That probably, if, if I put myself in their shoes, they're probably thinking, right, we're going to really support pride. We are going to really like ramp up the exposure we, we have, certainly on our social channels. We're going to have more um, awareness of it within the business, and we're going to almost get behind pride. Now, on one hand, that can come across as, you know, that's been really supportive, really helpful, really behind the community. But like you say, there's quite a fine line between this slapping a rainbow on it and just pink washing your logo, uh, but also then actually being genuine in your support. So how do you see the difference? What, what's your advice to employers that really want to show their support and really see this as a, an area they feel that they're almost underrepresented as a business? and want to really uh, improve? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think it goes back to that kind of why I posted the post that I did on kind of uh, slapping a rainbow on it as well. There's there's kind of, I felt back in January time, I was kind of almost looking ahead and thinking, I wonder what organizations and employers are going to do this year for Pride because there's been so much noise about other parts of diversity in the last 12 months mm. that I'm convinced they're going to step up and they're going to do things differently. And then I was really disappointed when I just saw rainbows plastered across logos in most places um, and a big backlash from the community as well. What I posted and what I voiced, I'm confident there was um, what was the sentiment of others in the community as well. And I think it was there are so many opportunities that employers potentially missed back in and pride that they could be doing now and, and moving forward as well because a big part of the frustration is that it's just one month a year when support is seen to be shown and actually when you are a member of the LGBTQ plus community or any other diversity characteristic you live that truth all through the year it's not just one month or one day of the year when you when you're um, experiencing that so the, you can, I suppose there's really good opportunity for you to going back to kind of the first, the first time I was on the show with you guys of tapping into storytelling. Um, so McKinsey and company did some really good work, um, during Pride Month around LGBTQ plus voices about speaking out and got their business leaders to speak about the challenges that they still face. Um, and what it takes for a business to be inclusive and have that real kind of transparent conversation um, across their social accounts. Um, and that spoke to some of the things kind of like, even when people come out, there's a big, um, I suppose there's a focus within student recruitment as well, a lot of graduates. So one of the, um, the winners of the Career Student Awards said this in his acceptance speech, actually, was that initially when he went into 
a graduate program, you went back in the closet and then had to find the confidence to come back out again. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got one in four people that aren't out when they're in the workplace anyway. And that um, McKinsey um, work that they did as well was kind of talking about the fact that actually there were about 40% of them who said that they'd felt uncomfortable at least once in the last month. So it's not something that you, it's something that you keep experiencing again and again. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, with employer brands and attraction strategies, I'd love to see more stuff that actually talks about the things that organisations aren't maybe getting right, but they're focusing on and they're committed to, to making better rather than trying to say they're doing something and then having to kind of work out what they're going to do afterwards. Um, I think you've highlighted and, as well like lots of the nuances that exist within diversity and inclusion. So just mm. because somebody's part of the some because two gay men might have two totally different experiences, and so it to will, say, yeah. oh well, you're a gay man, so therefore this set of whatever it might be will be useful for that person. Well, it, it might be useful for one of them, but might not be for the other, or might be useful for, useless to both of them. So yeah. I, I think that's important, isn't it, for anyone listening, employers, is to to any of the any underrepresented community. Is probably to understand to a level that you can under- get those nuances. Mm. And, and, and you can do that through allowing and tapping into, say, like your your LGBTQ plus um, networks within the business, for example. Mm. They're all, most of the organizations that I know that recruit students have them, and they're a great opportunity to kind of find role models um, and work then with a lot of the a lot of the steps forward that I see, saw this year, for example, were organizations that were supporting LGBTQ plus charities and using that as the story of what they were telling of how they were um, supporting Pride. And that's fantastic. There's two charities that I can think of off the top of my head. There's diversity role models that I volunteer for. So I've been, well, I've been doing it virtually for the last 12 months, obviously, but been into schools and talked about my experiences as an adult reflecting back that um, members of uh, networks within employers could sign up to. And then there's just like us as well that send 18 to 24 year olds into schools as well. So that covers apprentices and graduates. Mm. vehicles to be able to share those stories that are already in place that to be fair are quite minimal effort because it just involves getting in touch with that charity and saying we've got people that want to work with you so within the very quick things that can be done to take big steps forward within um the um lgbtq plus networks within firms um often you see and you hear about um allyships you know allies from um who are not part of the community, who just want to support the community or understand it better or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, how does that typically work? What does that typically look like? Do the organisation reaches out to everyone to say, hey, would you like to be an ally of this particular underrepresented community? Like, oh, it would be great to understand that a little bit better. From my experience, I mean, when I was back at EY, for example, I know our CEO at the time, um, Steve Varley, was recognised in the, there's an ally kind of leaderboard table that goes out in the FT, I think it is. And he was recognised at being at the top of that, for example. And he was doing great work. And it was, and it was in terms of him actually, I suppose a lot of the work with allyship, it, it goes across, it doesn't just sit within the LGBTQ plus community, it can go across any of the diversity characteristics. The first step, as far as I'm concerned, 
is making sure that these networks are open to anybody that's got an interest in the agenda of the network being able to become a member of them. Mm. So that they don't just become like the gay club or the BAME club or the female club and things like that. Um, and opening that door to start with starts the conversation. But allyship for me is essentially about taking the time to listen and to understand empathetically and compassionately about how somebody else's experience differs to your own. And then using that information to speak up for those underrepresented or minority groups when they're not in the room. Do you think that's... Or even when they're in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that's something that um, early careers teams could do more of during the onboarding process? Even if it was just literally an introduction from a member from the different networks to say, hey, this is our network. It's for people who are in that community, but also for people who support it. Or, you know, like, it's very common, this term that's come up um, anti, to be anti-racist, I think is a, mm. is a so you could, you could be the, maybe that's part of the, uh, of what could make it um, uh, better because the diversity and inclusion bit only works if everyone's involved in that, because you need everyone to see everyone as equal and treat everyone right, rather than an organization saying, yeah, we help this group of people. Look, there's a big network of them. Look, look they all do. Um, very, but it's not it's not about that is it no it's not i think i think you're right i think there's probably lots of employers that already do that work in terms of introduction introducing networks i've certainly seen on boards and events and graduate events when they were in real life um spectacles that they had kind of a lunchtime session where all the networks were there and people could go and meet them but there when even when you've got that there i suppose there is that barrier of having the confidence to go up to somebody and speak to them i mean we all work in early careers and we we've been at events where you're standing there and young people are too scared to come and talk to you because they don't quite know what to say or what information they're looking for so they can play a role in that way. Um, but coming back to that role models piece as well, I think if you've got people within those networks that are apprentices, that are graduates that can share those stories, bring them into the events and have them talk in front of the room and, and allow people to go to have those penny drop moments, I suppose, of, right, I chose this program, I chose this organization. I'm just not sure whether or not I should bring my whole self to the, the company yet. I'm worried, especially for LGBTQ plus people, I'm too worried about um, whether or not this is a safe place for me to say that about myself. If others are doing it, you're more likely to say it yourself. And if other, if if you see if you see people um, in that identify with other aspects of diversity um, that are speaking out about the challenges that they face, you're more more likely to do that when you encounter them yourself. Um, so th- that role model piece I think is, is really important. Um, and just and making these things visible. I know right in the past I've worked in places where I've been aware that networks exist, but I've found it incredibly difficult to work out where I find out how to join them or who I need to speak to. Right. Um, and that's a barrier in itself. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's seen, um, seen companies really, uh, I guess, show a real commitment, uh, not only like in early careers, but also across the across I guess everything that they do and it's one thing that we've certainly from an R&P perspective like we've just this year launched a be your authentic 
Excel at Work virtual event. Mm-hmm. So bringing together um, members of the LGBTQ plus community for students aged 16 to 24, but also six employers to try and really showcase them, their brands, their I guess, perception, and bring those role models closer to. So, so younger people who are looking at companies and thinking, actually, can I go into a business and be my authentic self? Like, are they going to accept me from day one being who I am? Or am I going to hide that? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that I think so many more companies are being really clear about. And I think you, you spoke um, when we spoke before, Steve, about a few brands that are really on the front foot and doing some really amazing stuff with their brands to showcase their support for this community. Do you, do you want to just like talk through a couple of those? I think you mentioned, is it Lego that had, we're doing a really Oh, yeah, yeah, so Lego, I'm looking at it on my windowsill now, actually. So Lego released yeah. a limited edition. Well, not a limited edition, actually, because that goes back to something else that frustrates me around Pride, is that I've seen a lot of stuff that's been limited edition. And then I'm just like, well, we're gay every more than one day, one month a year, going back to that again. So that should be available <laughs> all year round. Um, but it's um, it's using all of the colours on the progress pride flag. So the progress pride flag to just to to bring that up is not just the six stripes um, of the rainbow. It also includes um, a black and a brown for diversity, and then the pink, white, and blue for the trans flag as well into one flag. And Lego's created a Lego set that's got um, eleven different um, people on it. And little Lego of different colour, and then a backdrop against it that you can build. It's up about four hundred pieces. It took me about an hour to build. I made it with well, my well, mum. Four hundred pieces in an hour. That's a good number of pieces per minute, isn't it? <laughs> I'm a bit of a Lego fiend, to be honest. So, um, massive I, I found it a really good opportunity. I sat out in the garden and made it um, during Pride Month. Um, and had a conversation with my mum about it, explaining what the different colours meant on it and things like that and why it was important. And I can imagine if you were doing that as a child and whether or not you were an LGBTQ plus parent or whether or not you're an ally who's wanting to ensure that your children are educated about all the different people that exist in the world, um, it's a really good way for you to do that. Um, and I and you might look at it and go, well, you, it's a rainbow slapped onto Lego. If you were that critical of it, and people have been, but I look at it and go, it's a conversation starter. And the guy who designed it is from the LGBTQ plus community and created it because of the struggles that he'd had when he was younger. And that's his way of kind of using his platform to ch- to change the conversation in the world as well. There's been some really great work that I've seen from Co-op as well. Um, where they've, rather than changing the, the logo there, they've made a conversation about it and saying, we're not using, we're not doing this this year because we know that we do stuff all throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And then they've actually documented in a thread of tweets all the different things that they do during the year that you might not be aware of. For me, that's fantastic in two ways because it challenges that other employers to change the, the way that they approach it. But it also raises awareness of the things that are already there that a young person looking at that organization might go, oh, do you know what? Like, I didn't know they did that. And do you know what? I didn't even, I hadn't considered them for a career because I thought, oh, it's retail and that's going to involve me being in front of people all the time. And I might struggle with that if I'm having to hide who I am. And I've been through that because when I was a teacher, I was in the closet for the two years that I was teaching. When you're in front of people every single day, and you don't know whether or not saying or doing the wrong thing is going to 
involves some kind of discrimination towards you. It's a valid kind of experience that people have. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed that as well. And then also as well, just having, I think, some social media managers um, on your team and some um, kind of, I suppose there is an element of risk management with it, but an element of SAS and an element of confidence to be able to call out the trolls when they make comments online right. is good. And I've seen some really good examples from, um, I think it's one of the railway brands, I've forgotten who it was, but they've got a train that's got the pride flag on it. And somebody had made a comment about it. And the person who manages their social medias had basically slapped them down and made them look stupid by explaining why it was important to have that there. And there's, there's the same on the post office as well. Whoever manages that post office social media account is epic <laughs> with some of the responses <laughs> they give of, of anything that people say that's discriminatory. Yeah. Um, so I think there's an element of confidence there as well, of kind of not shying away from things. I mean, we've seen that as well, just to take a sidestep away from kind of the conversation about the LGBTQ plus community, how horrible online bullying can become when something goes wrong that people have got very little control over and it is not about their, um, how they identify with what happened at the end of the Euros. It's, it's like, it's really interesting, actually, this bit that you're talking now, because it goes back to what we were talking earlier about um, allyship and calling stuff out when people are in the room or not in the room and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's part, I think that's part, it's part of that, isn't it? It's saying, as an organisation, we take this seriously. So not only are we going to say, hey, we support this, but we're also going to say, sorry, we don't stand for um, these comments, these things that you're saying. And it's just making a public stand against that rather than saying, well, we put it out there and, you know, what people say, that's up to them. But it's, yeah. it's just taking that one step further. That's, that's really is. interesting. It is. I've, I've had experiences when I've been out and about and I've been with friends who are heterosexual and they've not said or done anything if I've, and when I've had something discriminatory said to me. But I've also been with some of my best friends that have stepped, to, to, um, stepped in front of me and had a conversation with that other person about what they're saying and saying how wrong it is. Um, and I also know that the kind of people and um, on my own uh, pod, I've got an interview with my friend Harriet, who's an excellent example of an ally. And she uh, talks about how she's been in a pub before and she's heard somebody saying something um, about uh, uh, homosexuals. And she's taken the time to get up out of her seat in the middle of her evening and go over to that person and say, you can't say that. That's not an appropriate thing to be saying. And that's because largely because She's the kind of person that would do that for anybody. Um, but also as well from her own experience, she grew up, um, she talks about how her uncle is gay and how when she was growing up, her parents had a conversation with her and just kind of said, well, um, the sky's blue, the grass is green and your uncle's gay. And that was the only thing that was said. So there's a lot of conversations that can happen to just normalise different communities and stamp it out before it even gets to the point where it's discriminatory. It's a scene as well, isn't it? It, is. so it requires some bravery, isn't it, just to call someone out because you don't know how someone might react if they're, like, just on, in any way, if I'm in a, <laughs> if I'm in a, a pub and someone says something, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, I don't know how this person's going to react and it requires some bravery and you need the people around you to support you to feel confident enough to 
You do. You do. And that's and I think that's and that's a good point to raise, actually, Jack, as well, because I think there is an element of kind of with conflict that people who don't like conflict would step away from that and go, well, somebody else will do it. I don't feel confident doing it. You don't. My opinion is that with with anything that's kind of discriminatory is that it doesn't always have to be called out. You can call it in. You can pull somebody to one side and have a one to one conversation with them at a later date. It doesn't always have to be done in the moment. It's always better in the moment, I would say, because especially there's other people around, it helps with that kind of um, ripple effect of, of other people understanding the impact of something. Yeah. But I've spoken to teachers before that um, there's a great teacher that, uh, called Pam that works down in the school in Brighton. And she, every time she hears a young person be using any kind of discriminatory language, but particularly around LGBTQ+, she'll take that young person to one side and she'll say to them why that was not a good way of, of speaking to another person and educate them. But then she'll say, I now need you to be that person that if you hear that language somewhere else in the school steps in, because in those kind of environments, you're not going to hear everything that everybody's that everything that's said, and that's mm-hmm. sadly the truth of most things. Um, so the more people that are there can, that can either call it out publicly, call it out on socials, or just have a one-to-one conversation with somebody in private, the better. Mm-hmm. I think when you when you bring it back to earlier, when we're talking about actually in early careers programs, being really open in like onboarding to say like this is something we're really committed to uh, and they say supporting charities was one of your other suggestions mm. to say actually like if, if there's enough going on around a certain cohort or a scheme people will, will believe uh, that there's a real commitment behind the, the, the business to actually make a difference and um, enact change and give people that confidence to do so so I feel like they're great ways to, to, to make people aware that actually they're, they're not going to be stepping too far out of the box to to, to give this feedback or be an ally because the company is showing such great support for that community and they, they feel like it's not going to be, um, it won't be as outspoken as it should be and it hopefully won't happen in the first place um, if they can be that supportive of it. Yeah, and you know, there's some really good examples, I think, when um, are, that I've seen in the past where um, student recruitment teams have laid their strategies over or have worked in partnership with corporate social responsibility teams within organizations and shown how the days that they because a lot of the um, employers that'll be listening to to the pod will have corporate days where they get one or two days a year where everybody doesn't go to work and gets to go and do something for the community around them and then they're probably linked to charities telling those stories is really important as well because it brings them to life and it's and it's very easy to capture as well you can just get your people to be doing it and sharing it on social media um, whether that's their own personal ones or professional ones. And mm-hmm. it's, again, it's another way of being able to show what you do all year round um, without kind of um, even having to go into the depths of kind of campaign planning and things like that. So if we get into more habits of just sharing things regularly, um, mm-hmm. I think that's was a really important a, step. Was this your inspiration for the Queer Student Awards as well? Yeah, I was, kind of, I, I, I was always... I planned on launching it last year and then 2020 happened. So, um, And at the start of this year, I thought to myself, I really want to do this. And I really, I really, really, really wanted it to be an in-person event, but it was just not going to happen, was it? So I figured, let's do it virtual. Everybody's doing it virtually. And there's a great thing about reach that you can achieve with uh, with online events as well that potentially you don't get with 
with their in-person events. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, as an evolution for next year, how you can bring that hybrid model in and bring the two together. But for me, the, the queer student wars were really about the idea that there's a huge amount of young people today that um, that research is showing that don't exclusively identify as being straight for a start. So there's a great opportunity to have a conversation with more young people um, and to be able to kind of focus on sexuality as part of a DNI strategy. But the the word queer itself, in terms of how I went about naming the awards, is a word that is being reclaimed by young people, but it's also a word that's quite painful for a lot of people as well, mm. because it's usually a term that's been thrown at them, and I've had it thrown at me, to be, to be fair, um, that's used as bullying or as discriminatory language about somebody. Um, but... The queer community itself is just so diverse and so exciting and draws on popular culture, film, activism, academia and things. And it's got inclusion right at the heart of it um, for me. So I wanted that to be kind of the lead for, for what the awards were about. But the, the awards, they were really warmly received. We had nine different um categories we had some fantastic winners that had incredible stories and then we named one student overall as the, the queer student of the year and it was a young man called jack in um up in the midlands Great and man. he'd basically been bullied um and suffered with his mental health and felt isolated and then corona had come along as well and he used his trauma which is something that anybody that's from a minority group i think will um, often draw upon to create a solution to what was going on and so he set up a pride community within his college and has been kind of building that momentum and when he when the rest of them when he joined the uh the final his entire class logged on, on zoom with him and they were all there cheering him on when he won and stuff so for me it was just it was just really nice to see that because I, it's what it is probably the biggest regret of my career is not being out when I was a teacher, but to see that journey that schools and education spaces are taking 15 years later, I did have a little bit of a blub to myself afterwards. I'll be honest, but um, yeah, it was it, it's all about for me with the with the QSAs. It's about celebrating as it is with other awards ceremony as well. Those great young people that are actually grabbing life by the proverbials and um and showing us all how it should be done yeah i think it's interesting as well that like uh, you, you basically don't or i don't really hear the word queer being used very much mm. and i think it's i think it's interesting because it draws attention to it helps you start to understand what the term means where that term's come from what that means now yeah because you could have called it something else yeah that, that's a good point as well, Jack. Because I think I, um, I would, I do worry that there may have been people that were put off taking part in or entering the awards this year because of the use of that word. That it was intentional, because that is the word that young people today are reclaiming and using to identify as themselves. So, surely anything that we're doing to draw attention to our organisations or to educate young people on what we're doing to support them should be using the language that they're using. Um, so yeah, it'll be a journey. I'm excited to see how many more people start to adopt it in the industry and the conversations that will happen because there are, sadly, I think there still are 
organizations out there that will have probably have filters on things that stop that word getting through or that they'll have policies where that right. word can't be used and yeah it's so yeah yeah i mean I, I mean i just think there's um I, I personally feel a nervousness with um sometimes within the whole diversity space any part of it using particular terms and i think that people need to go beyond that to have feel confident to say them and it's okay if you get it wrong or you don't if you're not obviously trying to use it in some derogatory way, but you're just misusing it or not understanding it, I think yeah. that's... Yeah, totally. And I think there's some really interesting research. The I think it's the untouchables did, and queer was the word that came out as the one that people were most fearful of using. I think it was 51%, so one in two people are too scared of using that word. And it's something interesting within the LGBTQ community as well as huge... Um, amount of noise quite rightly so for kind of trans rights at the moment as well and I've had conversations with my friends that identify as belonging to the, as being transgender and they a lot of them have said to me I would rather somebody tried to have a conversation with me and made the use the wrong language and then had to apologize but I had to educate them than somebody being too worried about what they should and shouldn't be saying yeah. Um, they didn't want people tiptoeing around them because their the way that they live their lives is never going to be fully accepted and never going to move forward. They're never going to be treated equally if people are kind of just avoiding the conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Steve, we've covered so much ground. So thank you so much for, for everything today. Um, You're welcome. I feel like as a, as a small recap, we've got like, the things certainly I've, I've taken away are like how people and companies can help on early careers programs um, kick them off brilliantly so that focus uh, be really welcoming on the onboarding involves charities the use of role models being really important you've really celebrated social media managers and the role they can have in certain programs um, and also like linking that with CSR as well and like dovetailing CSR on social to also utilize role models as well. Like you've got a lot of things that help contribute together, and I think it will make um, cohorts coming into early careers programs so much more confident, so much more at ease, and make them allies from the start and say, This is how we want you to come into our business and um, act and behave. And for it to be an everyday thing, to be an everyday ally, for it to be mm-hmm. not just for a particular not just day, week, month, basically. Whatever yeah. the thing is. Um, yeah, completely. I was, I, could, sorry. I was gonna say I know you, you carry on, this is your podcast. You go. <laughs> I was just I was just say if I can add, I suppose like the the thing that will most important and that's why I've mentioned all of these examples of how employers can be supporting all year round, but ways that are relatively easy for them to start doing it, is that as we move back into in-person training, inductions, recruitment and things over the next hopefully three to six months towards the end of the year. A lot of the people that identify the LGBTQ community have had their safe spaces taken away from them. Bars, clubs and things have been closed and so they're going to be very nervous about going back into um, any kind of space. So whatever employers can be doing is going to be really important. Um, so my final question I ask everybody, Stephen, the second time I've probably asked you this. Um, is there anything <laughs> that um, we haven't asked you yet that we should have asked you? Goodness me. 
maybe like the quickest thing that um, people can do. Yeah. Um, because I think just thinking about it now, we have uncovered pronouns. And I think it's really quick way for anybody to show that they're supportive of the LGBTQ plus community is to put their pronouns on LinkedIn profile. LinkedIn even has got a section on the profile now where you can click it. You don't even have to type it yourself. Um, but in recruitment processes, especially if you're doing it virtually, mm-hmm. um, like encourage your assessors to be putting he, him, she, her, they, them onto the, the name as well on screen. It really does make a difference to people that are too nervous or too scared to be themselves. Yeah, great. I'm going to go onto LinkedIn and do that now. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show Steve um, the second time maybe there'll be a third we, we don't know maybe hopefully, hopefully yeah maybe yeah. number 100 <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot guys yeah appreciate it thanks so much Steve um, so I've been Ollie and I've been Jack and, and that's that. been the early careers podcast uh, we'll see you next time bye for all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.